I just uh, wanted to make sure you got to see what all the anointed men wore today. You guys didn't get the memo, did you? Oh, hey, there's red. You bet. All right. Very good. Thanks, Pastor John. No, Pastor John uh, and Anita picked us up at the airport. Wait a minute, Brother Ray, what do we see here? That, that, that's, that's pretty close. Stripes, yeah, there you go. So um, I, Pastor John and Anita picked us up today, and I thought, wow, we're anointed. We're wearing the same thing. So um, anyway, but um, you, just so you know, you can be anointed even if you didn't wear the blue and white checks, but Pastor John, thank you, and Anita, we're so thankful to be with you again. We always love New England. Um, you know, New England has a reputation in the rest of the country, stuffy and, you know, all that. I don't think that's true at all. I, I've, you guys are wonderful, awesome, and, and uh, I just don't think those people know what they're talking about. But I really appreciate you being out here. It blesses my heart to see hungry people out on a Saturday morning uh, to learn more. And uh, uh, we're sharing today mobilized believers and the empowered church. And uh, this is something that's real strong on my heart, has been for several years. And I'm really sharing much of what I'm going to be communicating today based on things that I used to believe a certain way. Um, and misperceptions that I had of what I thought ministry was all about. And, uh, you know, then stepping into ministry and allowing myself, I guess, to continue to be open and mainly willing to realize that I don't know very much and allowing God to teach more. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And what I found in my life, and I'm sure it's the same way yet today, is that I had certain things that I thought I knew, and they, they were true, but it wasn't all truth. Now, lest you misunderstand, how many of you know the Bible says, Paul said, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So I, I want you to know I'm still learning, uh, but what I'm going to share with you today has a lot to do with some very early perceptions that I had about what ministry was, what I thought ministry was. And as I learned and as I grew and as I got more experience, I began to understand ministry was much more broad than I realized. If I had been teaching this same kind of seminar, let's see, Lisa and I, my wife, we've been in ministry for 38 and a half years now. If I was teaching this 37 and a half years ago, I probably wouldn't have called it mobilized believers and the empowered church. I probably would have called it anointed preachers and the gifted minister. You know, the focus would have all been on the preacher. That's because I was studying and learning how to be a preacher, and I thought it was all about the preacher. And I had to go through quite a process of learning that ministry, it involves the preacher, that part's true, but ministry's about the entire body of Christ and God's plan for the entire church. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, kind of what we're going to be talking about, how I went from a focus on the preacher to a focus on everybody, not excluding the preacher. Uh, I'm not trying to preach myself out of a job here, 
Um, but, but it's not all about the preacher. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for this privilege to be here today and, and for the privilege to be in New England and Seekonk. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing throughout the earth and, and throughout this region and these cities and these communities in this part of our country. And Father, we pray that as this uh, region has been shaken before, we pray that you will shake it again. We thank you for the moving and the outpouring, uh, not just revival for the church, but awakening for the, the entire region. And Lord, thank you for your presence and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for believers, for leaders, for pastors, for every member of the body of Christ. Father, we really want to learn today what it means for the church, uh, for believers to be mobilized and for the church to be fully empowered in the fullness of your spirit. We want to thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor John and I and several in here had the privilege of attending Rhema Bible Training Center and... We got to sit under uh, the, the teaching and the ministry of Brother Hagen. And uh, my wife and I moved to Tulsa. And we got married and moved to Tulsa in 1979. And I, <coughs> excuse me, I had been filled with the Spirit for two years. I was full of zeal. I was 20 years old and had all the wisdom of a 20-year-old. I really did. <laughs> but God had touched my heart. And I was so excited. I, 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 I knew uh, that God had called me, and I believed that God had called me to be a preacher. Now, so let me, let me share this with you just to kind of help keep this in context. Now, I know not everybody is called to be a preacher. How many of you know that? Amen. But every believer is called to serve God. We, we all have a calling of some kind, you know, to be something, to do something. Uh, so a lot of times when I'm talking today about my calling, I'm referring to the, I, I believed I was called to be a preacher. And so I filtered all of my thinking through the idea of eventually getting into the pulpit and being able to stand before people and preach and minister and things like that. So, but, uh, that's how I was thinking, but that doesn't exclude the fact that other people have other callings. But, but at that point in my life, I kind of thought the pulpit was everything. The pulpit was the absolute, thank you, Pastor Ray. I thought the pulpit was the epitome of ministry, that it was the most, I thought that pulpit ministry was way up here. And I'm sorry to say this, but I thought everything else was way, way down here. And that's one of the things I had to really get corrected about myself. But um, Brother Hagen, uh, you know, when, when preachers preach, they may preach a very thorough message, but the listeners can just grab on to what they want to grab on to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or as the preacher may say 10 things, but the listener maybe only wants to hear point number four. So they don't really hear points one through three. They don't really hear points five through ten. They just get a hold of the point that resonates with them. And I think that's probably just human nature. But I think part of maturing as a believer is we learn to listen more thoroughly. 
we learn to think through things a little bit more comprehensively and not, as Brother Hagen used to say, just run off with something like a dog with a bone. Okay? And um, so Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I think one of the tendencies or traits of my youthfulness and my immaturity at that point was Brother Hagen probably taught things pretty thoroughly. The problem was I wasn't necessarily listening very thoroughly. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And I want to talk to you about what I, as a young Bible school student who thought he was going to be the next Billy Graham. The problem was all of us thought we were going to be the next Billy Graham. We all, you know, all of us young bucks, we thought we were all going to, you know, uh, do all these things. But anyway, uh, Brother Hagen would often teach us from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now let's read that one more time. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. What was the first thing Jesus did? Teaching in their synagogues. What was the second thing Jesus did? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what was the third thing Jesus did? Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And so many times, um, Brother Hagen would stop. He'd just read that and then he'd say, what are the three things Jesus did in his ministry? And as dutiful students, we would all shout out, teaching, preaching, Healing, and, and we just got so excited because we wanted to be like Jesus. And because we wanted to be like Jesus, we knew that we were going to be teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, the thing is, I do remember that Brother Hagen would go on and read all those other verses, but I didn't pay much attention to the other verses. I just got stuck on teaching, preaching, and healing. And please understand, when I talk about the importance of the other verses, I'm not diminishing the importance of teaching, preaching, and healing. But see, in my mind, as a young 20-year-old student who was full of zeal and, you know, was full of, you know, excitement about changing the world, I just saw teaching, preaching, and healing as the, the epitome, the pinnacle, the ultimate expression of ministry and everything else just paled by comparison. Teaching, preaching, and healing was the epitome of all ministry. And see, in my mind at that point, I even thought that all teaching, preaching, and healing had to be done in the context of a pulpit. And, it, and healing had to be done in the context of a healing line. I really didn't even think about that God could heal people unless they were in a line. I didn't think that God could heal people anywhere else or that anybody could even receive anything from God unless the person was standing behind the pulpit teaching and preaching. So I just had a, I had a restricted kind of narrow view 
of ministry. Teaching, preaching, and healing was it. And what happened is, and I've shared the Timothy seminar here before, where I shared how my wife and I became janitors at a local church. And um, I just thought that was so we could pay bills, but God uh, had a different purpose in my wife and I being janitors at a local church. I had to learn that there was more to ministry than just being in the pulpit. I had to learn that sometimes ministry revolved more around the toilet. You know, in other words, serving. I thought that all ministry happened here. I, and I remember thinking, you know, God, you gave Billy Graham to, uh, pulpits all over the world. And you've given me toilets all over the church. You know, it wasn't really, God wasn't treating me right because he wasn't giving me the things that Billy Graham had. And, um, but I had to learn that ministry was more than just the pulpit. Ministry was any and every kind of form of expression, serving, loving people, helping people, you know, just doing anything to, you know, help the kingdom of God be expressed better in the earth and things of that nature. And so um, uh, my wife and I became janitors at a church And then later, uh, after serving as janitors for nine months at this church, uh, the church ended up asking me to be an assistant pastor. And so I thought, yes, you know, this is great. I'm moving in the right direction, you know, and I began thinking, okay, I'm going to be an assistant pastor. So I began envisioning all these things that I'd get to do and thinking I'm going to be in the pulpit a whole lot. And, you know, that pastor wasn't very spiritual. Because he didn't give me much to do in the pulpit. Um, He wanted me to do a lot of things to help him in different areas. Uh, He wanted me to, like, call first-time visitors and thank them for attending the church and see if I could go visit them and ask, you know, find out if they had questions about the church. We call it assimilation, trying to help get people involved, attending and serving and helping and just being a part of the church. Um, He wanted me to help you know, with some things like getting food to people and going to, you know, counseling people. Um, you know, people would come in, they'd have problems and things, and, and I was to sit and listen to them and try to help them. And he even had me do some hospital visitation, which you might think that I would have been thrilled about hospital visitation because, man, that's an opportunity to pray for the sick. But it really wasn't valid ministry because it wasn't in a line, you know. <laughs> It, it had to be in a line in front of the church. And um, I'll be honest with you, and Pastor John, you may remember this. I had the attitude, well, if people come in for counseling, the only reason is because they didn't listen to the word from the pulpit. And if people, if you had to go visit them in the hospital, there's something wrong because they should have gotten healed in the healing line. So I kind of thought that everything I did, I'm embarrassed about this today, but I thought that most everything I did was kind of a necessary evil, almost. Just kind of, you know, if, if the people had really been paying attention in church and where the Word and the Spirit were in the healing line and in the pulpit, they wouldn't need any other form of ministry. So I just, you know, kind of every... And like, go visit people who have visited the church for the first time. Why would you do that? Because if they visit once, they should know that this is the anointed place. <laughs> 
And why should I have to go encourage them to come? They should just immediately want to come, sit under the word and be where the anointing and the glory. So I just had this this picture that everything, you know, like the, the glory spout was right over the pulpit. And that was the only place that God's presence and glory would really be known was from the pulpit where the Word and the Spirit were, the teaching, the preaching, and the healing line, all right? And so everything the pastor was having me do is all this other stuff that I thought was peripheral, you know, kind of secondary. And um, But something really interesting happened over... The, I was on that staff for three and a half years, and, and I really did. I, I did things, you know... Uh, to bless and help people, and I'm probably exaggerating my attitude a little bit. I really did want to help and serve people and, and things like that. But over the three and a half years, I didn't start out teaching very much, but over three and a half years, the pastor allowed me to teach and preach more and more. So by the time I left that church three and a half years later, and actually left to go teach at Rama. um, I was doing, I'd done like 10 out of the last 12 Wednesday nights. Uh, I had done a bunch of, several Sunday mornings, a lot of Sunday nights. And, and, and the pastor was letting me do a lot of special classes and everything. So I'm going to re- resign after three and a half years of being an assistant pastor here, still having this attitude that the epitome of ministry is what happens in the pulpit. And I'm going to preach my farewell sermon. And so I get up and preach my farewell sermon on a Sunday night, and the pastor was so gracious, and he, um, he said afterwards, he said, well, he said, everybody, Tony and Lisa have served here for three and a half years, you know, this is their last time here, come down and greet them, and, uh, and the people were so kind and gracious, and, but in my mind, I'm a little bit embarrassed to share this, but in my mind, I began thinking about what I thought people were going to say to me. And I envisioned people coming and saying, oh, Brother Cook, that sermon that you taught on such and such, it revolutionized my life. That, that series that you taught on XYZ Bible's topic, I will never be the same. Um, you know, I, I was thinking these people were going to come and, you know, be praising me for all these sermons and Bible lessons and teachings that I had done. And so this long line of people, very gracious, you know, came up and they were saying, thank you, goodbye, we wish you well, all that. And when it was all said and done, I got to thinking through and I realized not one person said one thing about any sermon, Bible lesson, teaching series. Not one person said anything about what I had taught or preached from the pulpit. And I was kind of mad. I was kind of upset that nobody appreciated what I had preached. And I, but I got to thinking, well, what did people say? And I got to thinking, and what people had said things, they were things like this. Brother Cook, thank you for that time. You know, when our daughter was rushed in for an emergency appendectomy and you came to the hospital and you just sat with us and you just kept us company until the doctor came out and said everything was okay. Brother Cook, thank you for that time when I lost my job and, man, I was really scared. I didn't know how I was going to take care of my family and 
you heard that I had lost my job and you called me into the church and, and you helped me carry out a whole bunch of bags of groceries from the you know, church's food. You helped me carry out all these bags of groceries. And he said, man, that really helped us out during that time when I didn't have a paycheck. And, and not only that, but Brother Cook, you gave me a list of some names of guys in the church, businessmen that I could contact about jobs. And I was able to get a job. Thank you for that time you helped me. Brother Cook, thank you for that time when my wife's mother passed away and you met us at the funeral home and you sat down with us and, um, and you helped us. We weren't thinking very clear and you helped us think through things and, and you came over after the funeral and you checked on us a few times. And it just really meant a lot. And what I got to realizing is that everything somebody thanked me for didn't have anything to do with what I'd preached in the pulpit. I was mad about that. But I had to get over it. But what everybody thanked me for, I, I'm sure the ego is not involved in that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but what everybody thanked me for was not something that had to do with my sermon, but it had to do with their need. And you'd think I would have known that. But do give me a break. I was only 24 by this time, and I still hadn't figured this stuff out. But all of a sudden, it just kind of like the light bulbs went on, and I realized people care more about the hurts and the needs in their life than they do in my sermons. Now, as a preacher, I get really excited about my sermons, but not everybody gets as excited about my sermons as I do. My wife doesn't get as excited about my sermons as I do. And she's been so good to listen. She's heard some of my sermons hundreds and hundreds of times. God has a reward in heaven for her. But anyway, um, but it dawned on me that there was more to ministry than what happened in the pulpit. And you may be sitting there thinking, how dumb were you, Brother Cook? I mean, we've known that for decades. I'm telling you, I had to learn that. But see, if I had just heard, if I had just really, I think if I had paid better attention and not listened so selectively when I was a Bible school student, if I had listened to the other verses that Brother Hagin had read and that Jesus had said, look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 again. Matthew 9.35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease among the people. Now, how many of you know that's all important? Jesus did it. It's important. I'm not discounting that. I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying that that's not the last verse. The next verse says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Did you know that verse 37 or verse 36 rather is after verse 35? Now that's a revelation. But after Jesus had gone about teaching, preaching, and healing, he looked at the multitudes and had compassion. See, my thought is 
that when Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing, everybody's needs would have been met. Nobody would have had any more problems or issues or concerns. And see, that's what I really thought was going to happen when I got up to teach and preach. And when I prayed for people in a healing line, I thought, man, once I've teached, teach, taught, once I've taught and preached and prayed for people in a healing line, man, everybody just kind of moves into this glorious realm, exalted, transfigured, you know, and, 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 but that's not even what happened when Jesus taught, preached, and healed. After Jesus taught, preached, and healed, He didn't look around and see everybody in an elevated state of glory. He looked around and said, man, they're still hurting. People still have needs. Now, that's not to say that teaching doesn't help. That's not to say that preaching doesn't help. That's not to say that healing doesn't help. But even after Jesus had taught, preached, and healed in every city and every village, there were still people that had needs. They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The Amplified Bible says that when he saw the throngs... He was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, and dejected and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's after Jesus ministered to them. Jesus had to go teach, preach, and heal just to bring them up to a point of being bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, and helpless. Think how bad a shape they were in before he ministered to them. See, I just thought that once I preach something, everybody's going to get it and everybody's going to be transformed and exalted and glorified and blessed. Well, after Jesus taught, preached, and healed in every city and every village, he looked around and people were still hurting. And they were hurting and they were like sheep without a... Isn't that interesting? He taught... Did you know you can teach without being a shepherd? You can preach without being a shepherd. You can pray for the... You can be a healer without being a shepherd. Shepherd is relational. Shepherd is, and, and did you know that the word shepherd and pastor are the same Greek word? There are not two different Greek words, one for pastor, one for shepherd. Shepherd, pastor is the same Greek word. And see, this to me is why it's absolutely essential that people need a local church with a pastor. You can have, Paul said, you can have thousands of teachers. Do you know that you can get on the internet? You can have podcasts. You know, we used to say you can have CD or cassette tapes. I don't know if you can have cassette tapes anymore. If you, if you can find a cassette tape player, I guess you can. But you can have thousands of messages, sermons. You can sit and watch healing evangelists on television who say, put your hand on my hand on the screen. You can have teaching, preaching, and healing, but not have a shepherd. And please understand, I'm not against teaching and preaching and being prayed for in, in a service or something like that. But I'm just saying that even after Jesus had done, I think, the ultimate of teaching, preaching, and healing, he still said people need a shepherd. 
And then he doesn't stop there with verse uh, 37. With verse 37, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, I, I it, it took me a few, a handful of years in ministry to see this. Teaching, preaching, and healing is foundational. It's important. The problem is not that I thought teaching, preaching, and healing were important. That's not a problem. My problem was I thought that's the only thing that was important. I didn't understand what pastoral ministry was as opposed to teaching, preaching, and healing. And thirdly, I did not see the importance of of the third. See, Jesus introduces here three levels of ministry. Teaching, preaching, and healing, which is foundational. We need teaching, preaching, and healing. Another way to say it is we need the ministry of the Word and the Spirit. But then Jesus said, but people need a pastor. See, some people think they're so hyper-spiritual, they don't need a church, they don't need a pastor. The pastoral element, now the pastor will very likely do some of those foundational things of teaching, preaching, and healing. But pastoral ministry goes beyond just teaching, preaching, and healing. Pastoral ministry carries with it an idea. John chapter 10, Jesus said, the shepherd stays with the flock. When the wolf comes, the pastor's there. Uh, The the pastor, the shepherd, knows the sheep by name. And they they know the pastor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pastoral ministry is richer and broader, and, 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 it, and it has more of a relational. The pastor's going to be with you from week to week. Um, now, here's something, too, that I think needs to be understood. And I want to say this very carefully. Pastoral ministry can be looked at two different ways. Number one, we can look at the office of the pastor. And there are people who stand in the office of the pastor and they are recognized. This is the pastor of the church. This is the pastoral team or the pastoral staff. I I pray that churches don't just think that one person has to do everything, you know, anything that's encouraging, relational. Well, let the pastor do it. That's what we pay him for. And everybody else is just a spectator, and, 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 a, and, and the pastor has to do all visitation, all praying, all encouraging. You know, you'll kill a guy with that attitude. And yet, it's important to understand, there is the pastoral office. And, and, and certain people are anointed to stand in that. They're, they're leaders. Um, but, but many people can share in pastoral work. In, in a pastoral heart. For example, I was 22 years in ministry. I have never been a senior pastor in my life. I worked under 
Pastor Beller for three and a half years. I worked under Pastor Hagen for 18 and a half years. I was never the senior pastor, but I helped them in carrying out pastoral work. More people can do pastoral work than just the senior pastor. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, and I want to say this very carefully because I don't want everybody to start walking around, I'm a pastor. You know, you don't have to use the title. You could be at your workplace and you can function pastorally without being known as a pastor. Somebody in your office, they lose a loved one and, and you write them a note of encouragement and take them some homemade banana bread and, and you know, encourage them, let them know you're praying. You're, you're pastoring them in a general, loose sense of the term. In other words, you're showing the heart of Jesus to them. You're showing the heart of care and concern. You're not just giving them a teaching. You're not preaching at them. There's a time and a place for teaching and preaching, but there's a time and a place just to be relational, to be compassionate, to be caring. And even though you don't stand, you're not pastoring a congregation per se. You're demonstrating the shepherd's heart of Jesus of care and concern to them. Are you understanding there's a real specific sense of pastoral office, but there's a broad general sense of just pastoral loving and caring for people and encouraging people. And is that? And see, Jesus said, you know, there's a time and a place for the teaching, preaching and healing. But even when that's all been done, people are still bewildered and, and distressed and all that. They need a shepherd. They need somebody to come in relationally and encourage them and support them and, and uh, undergird them and that type of thing. And so Jesus introduces three levels of ministry. First of all, teaching, preaching, and healing. Secondly, the pastoral that is more relational, where we walk people through, you know, through process. See... Teachers and preachers and evangelists who pray for the sick, they love event. This is my sermon time. This is my Bible lesson time. This is my time to have you line up and I'm going to pray for you. Everything's about an event. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's how certain types of ministers think. It's an event. Pastors don't think so much about events. They understand process. They understand, hey, we're in this for the long haul. Um, We're going to walk through this situation with you. It's not just, you know, uh, we're going to pray for you in the healing line and then we're done with you. You either get it or you don't. Now, a healing evangelist might think that way. But a pastor doesn't think that way. The pastor says, we're with you through thick or thin. We're, we're going to encourage you every step of the way. And, and they think in terms of process. And then the third dimension that Jesus brings up, he, he goes from pastoring, he just goes to labor. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the laborers are few. Now, laboring is a lot more general 
There's a lot of things you can do to work for God that aren't necessarily pastoral in nature. When you encourage somebody at work, that's, that's got that little pastoral touch, even if you're not a, an official pastor. But you love people, you encourage people, you, you know, drop people notes, hey, I'm praying for you. That's kind of got that pastoral touch to it. But there's a much broader, when you carry chairs in and you direct cars in the traffic and you're back at the audio booth and you're cleaning the building, that's not necessarily pastoral, but that is laboring. So Jesus gives us three levels of ministry. And every one of these levels of ministry is essential to God's will being done on the earth. If all we have is teachers, preachers, and individuals praying for people in a healing line, there's going to be a certain amount of ministry that's done in the earth. But if you can get a lot of people with a shepherd's heart that are relationally, through process, walking with people through the tough times of life, uh, pouring in the encouragement and comfort when people are hurt, all of a sudden ministry goes from something that's pretty narrow to something that's much more broad. And then... What Jesus said is the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. One person said this, for every one preacher, we need a hundred workers. For every one preacher, we need a hundred workers, volunteers, servants, and so on. If you give me a good foundation of the Word of the Spirit, teaching, preaching, and healing, you add on to that a layer of caring, loving people who have a pastoral heart to be merciful and kind to others and build relationships and nurture and encourage. And then you give me on top of that a multitude of laborers who are willing to roll up their sleeves, clean the building, do anything, you know, uh, anything that is called working for God, then what you have is you have a, a full expression of the kingdom of God in the earth. What's changed in my life, when I was young and getting started, I thought it was all about Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, teaching, preaching, and healing. Over the years that followed, I came to a deep appreciation for relational encouragement and so on. And then on top of that, what we call the ministry of helps, the multiplication of laborers. And when you put all three dimensions together, you know what you end up with? You end up with mobilized believers and an empowered church. When you volunteer and see the thing that I want to always keep in mind, Pastor John, anybody that comes on a Saturday morning like this, you don't need to preach commitment to them. You need to preach commitment to all the people that didn't come on a Saturday morning. But you guys, I'm sure, are the cream of the crop. You're the ones that are hungry, involved, already serving, and things of that nature. But when you responded, when you said, Jesus, I'll serve, when you said, I will volunteer in the church, 
I don't know if you realize this or not, but you answered a prayer of Jesus. Jesus said that we were to pray for laborers, but don't you think he probably prayed that first? He didn't ask us to pray for something he himself wasn't already praying for. When you said, Lord, I'll volunteer, I'll serve, I'll help in this department of the church, I'll help in this area of outreach, I'll, I'll help clean the building, I'll help with the audio video, I'll, I'll usher, I'll, I'll work with the kids. When you became a laborer, you answered. You became an answer to Jesus' prayer. You became, as it were, the icing on the cake. You became the top level, the thing that Jesus was building. He was building on a foundation of teaching, preaching, and healing with a pastoral element and now a multiplication of laborers. And I don't see anywhere in the Word of God where Jesus makes that peripheral or makes that secondary. I see in the Word of God where Jesus said... If, if you just give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you will not lose your reward. I see Hebrews saying that God is not unrighteous. He will not forget your work and your labor of love in that you serve and work and, and minister to the needs of the body. Uh, God will not forget that. He will reward you for that. And so... Why don't we do this? Why don't we, we're going to take a break here in a minute.